Bonjour, film lovers. Did you know that you can subscribe to us on iTunes, Spotify, and Stitcher Radio? We also have a website, realnerdspodcast.com, where you can find cool articles and other ways to listen to the podcast. You can also follow us on social, Facebook at Real Nerds Podcast, and Twitter and Instagram at Real Nerds. You can also call us at 720-6-NERDS-5. We will listen to it, we will play it, and we will probably commentate on it. Also, email us at realnerds at gmail.com. Anyway, enjoy the episode. Welcome to the Real Nerds Podcast, unofficially the official podcast of some kind of convention. I don't know what the hell's going on anymore. The whole world fucking changed. Uh, every week, the Real Nerds go and see a new movie, and we podcast our experience to the world. This week, we saw Candyman, Candyman, Candyman. Oh, wait, I only said it three times. I don't have to worry about it anymore. Um, but I'm not alone in this endeavor. My name is Zach, uh, but as always, I am joined by... Brad and and Corinne. Yes, that's right. Uh, Ryan Frost is on assignment today. The assignment of parenthood. Dun dun dun. So he will say it's the assignment is taking care of his kid. <laughs> yes. Oh, what? Well, is it is it that, or is he secretly watching the blacklist and not telling us? You know, just a big. I know, doubt Ryan. That. Ryan gave me and you and I, Zach, like such shit last week because we were on. So I feel like this week we have to give him shit because he's not on. Oh, and, you know, there is birthday. no better way it was to give birth- Ryan shit than bringing up the blacklist. It is his birthday yesterday, Corinne. We have yeah, to be nice. It was nice. yesterday. No, I was nice <laughs> to him yesterday. I sent him a bunch of Spider-Man memes. So, but today, all bets are off. Plus, by the time this comes out, it will be like several days removed from his birthday. So, why, you he doesn't get him, a birthday week. Why'd you send him Fireman memes? You know that's not no, what No, 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 no. Spider-Man. Spider-Man oh, gotcha. memes. Spider-Man memes. Yeah, you were, you I mean, I was also looking up firemen this week, but for a completely different and completely legitimate reason <laughs> <laughs> that Brad will hopefully explain. <laughs> yeah, he, he I'm sure he will for sure. Um, I mean, as far as giving Ryan shit, um, let's let's uh, you know what? Since I'm hosting the show, we're based out of kindness this week and not vitriol and anger. <laughs> And anything like that. So I'll just say, Ryan, you're kind of crazy being so in love with Cary Grant. You know that Jack Benny is 10 times more handsome, my friend. You just you just know it. I know it. We're just going to have to live with that fact. Um, but that's the meanest I'll get. Happy birthday, buddy. Um, he will be calling in his review of Candyman. Um, but in the meantime, while we uh, prepare to talk about the latest reboot via Jordan Peele and Nia DaCosta, uh, we will be digging into movie news, what we've been watching. Um, we'll talk about uh, what we'll talk about something that occurred this weekend uh, involving our uh, two co-hosts here. Um, and we'll also talk about uh, what's been going on around town, which Brad, do you know what's going on around town? Hey, film buddies, follow me around Denver. I do. The drive-in is showing 
Candyman, old and don't breathe too. Uh, 27 through September 2nd. So, um, check that out. I'm sure it'll, they've been repeating weeks. So I'm sure it'll transfer again to after the second. So, and the twin hasn't given a, a schedule yet. So probably similar stuff, I'm guessing. And, uh, yeah, that's what's going on in our town. Wonderful. Thank you very much, Brad. And once again, please be sure to visit the Dairy Arts Center for Friday Night Weird. Uh, Look at the Dairy Arts Center calendar for their upcoming events regarding the Friday Night Weird program hosted by Jack Hanley and Shay Westcott. Um, Brad, let's uh, let's not beat around the bush any further. You embarked on your how many how many 48 hours is this now? Uh, This was the 12th Denver one and the 14th weekend like this one. Yeah, because there's the two um, additional ones that you can do, like the bonus ones. Yeah, which, so we got superheroes our genre this year, and all weekend I felt like we'd done it before, but no one, you know, could confirm that. And right. then this morning, as I was working, I was like, wait a minute, Battle Rap Galactica was a superhero genre one. So, and it, because that wasn't a Denver one, it was the, no. the, the four <laughs> points, so that's why I had forgotten, so... Um, yeah, we've done superhero genre before. Is and, is uh, Battle Rap Galactica though in the forty eight hour scheme? Is it kind of like the uh, Never Say Never, uh, Never Say Never Again to the rest of the James Bond series, where it's just it's on the outliers, it's on the outs, you know, like technically it counts, but it doesn't because it doesn't. Oh, it absolutely counts. Okay, fair enough. So it is part of it is part of the forty eight hour canon. Um, but yeah, no, you participated in yet another 48 hour production. Why don't you give the real nerds listeners an inside scoop into your latest production? Uh, yeah, wow. It's, uh, my mind, I, I got some sleep, but I, I, I'm still a bit frazzled because there's just so much to do the day after still, but, uh, you guys were there. Um, yes, we you were. helped out. Zach, uh, graciously was our assembly editor and Corinne, uh, PA production assistant, uh, just, did whatever we needed when it was called for. And uh, excuse we made- me, I will, I will brag. I also held up a pole as a human sandbag. Thank you very much. <laughs> That's right. Zach <laughs> did uh, uh, fill in for part of the green screen. Yeah. Cause uh, you were uh, doing it on outside of um, Mike Henderson's garage um, in the driveway. And uh, uh, Oh my God. Like you don't want to spoil anything that happens in that shot, but uh I will say that we can definitely debunk any rumors out there that Thunderbolt three is not the film that you made. Unfortunately, it was discussed, but we didn't, we didn't end up doing it. Uh, we got, we got superhero genre or road road movie. And for a good chunk of the writing session, we were writing a road movie. And then at some point it switched to superhero and, (laughs) um, yeah, it, uh, you know, we, uh, worked pretty quickly. Uh, we, kind of got a late start on saturday because it was tough to get props um ahead of time with stores kind of opening later than usual mm-hmm. and um uh yeah we uh thanks to zach we got the uh edit started really quickly and then um on sunday we had to go do some pickup shots for things that we didn't didn't, didn't get done on saturday and those took up took up a huge chunk of time so uh it got really uh, sketchy in the last four or five hours of, you know, what could we f- conceivably finish? And uh, we ended up turning it in five minutes before it was due. And it was, a, it was a really tense hour uh, watching, you know, wondering if that was going to 
turn out or not, you know, watching, watching the progress bar on the exporter, you know, tell you it's going to take 20 minutes and it feeling like 45. Um, I just remember the, the conversation going in was just like, yeah, you know, like with everything that we're getting done right now, hopefully we're going to be, because we don't have to be there in person to hand deliver, we're going to be uploading. We'll be uploading super quick. We won't have to have any worry or anxiety about it. And yet every year it's, it's down to the wire for you, my friend. Which yeah, I'm always kind of shocked by. It's frustrating. And uh, after 12 times, it's clearly the, that link in that chain, the trips us up is me because um, our post crew is often very light. And um, if I wasn't, you know, I, like I said before, we had to go do pickup shots. And that means our editor and our graphic designer is now suddenly photographer again. And that's just time that could be split between other people. And it needs to stop happening. Well, I think what it does mean is I definitely need to come on board next year just to at least either offer an additional hand or at least a uh, put on a beanie and pretend to be Burgess Meredith to your Rocky and uh, just give you encouragement slash smack you around a little bit. (laughs) Yeah, but realistically, uh, it needs to be either Brad directs and shoots and doesn't edit or doesn't do post or someone else directs and shoots and Brad does the post. So it can't be both anymore. Wait, 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 Brad. Don't you dare announce your retirement from filmmaking. We've already lost Ethan Cohen. I'm not losing you. Not retiring, just, uh, just doing less. So it's, it's just not, it's just, it's the 12th time, Zach. It's clearly, it doesn't work. (laughs) But the film, (laughs) the finished film, you know, we screened it after we turned it in. Um, we, We turned it in not knowing what it looked like. Like it just went off to Mike to get the sound added and then, you know, it went up. So um, we watched it and it's one of the few times where I was like, you know, there will be a director's cut, but there's very little to do with it. So, um, you know, when we screen it on Wednesday, I'll be proud of what, what's showing there. You know, there's, there's nothing that I'm, I'm cringing too much at. Lovely. And can you get, at least give us the title? And uh, the, 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 you already said superhero genre, give us the title. And if you want to give us a little tease, give us a little tease. Uh, the title is the very generic justice team. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, it is a homage to superheroes, uh, dysfunctional superheroes mm-hmm. um, who are in their own bit of trouble for the uh, reckless heroism that they've caused. It's uh, it's given given the uh, over dominance of the superhero genre in certain respects. Uh, it is nice to watch any time uh, a filmmaker will take take to accountability the the actual logistics uh, as opposed to the fanboy logistics. So I appreciated the uh, l- looking through the assembly edit and seeing what the project entailed and reading the script and then sifting through the footage and you know. I've liked Ryan before in the films in the past, but <laughs> I think apart from Marinov, this might be my favorite thing he's done for you. <laughs> well, you haven't seen the graphics yet, so it, it gets crazier. Oh, good. <laughs> uh, if you thought his character Wildcard was wild, just sitting at a table and talking, wait till you see uh, the rest of it. Oh, it's it's not like I mean, granted, yes, it's dialogue, but like it it, it really is like it's just his attitude and also. I don't want to spoil too much of it, but you know what I was laughing at by the end of by the end of my assembly edit session. There was a certain image of him that uh, during one of the uh, the commercial elements of this uh, project. So um, yeah, yeah that that image made me laugh my butt off way too much. 
Um, but yeah, so uh, we're going to be looking for it. But uh, it, I mean, this episode won't be ready by the time that uh, this happens, but there will be the screening at the Bug Theater tomorrow night at 6 p.m. Uh, for groups A and B, C and D will be Wednesday night at 6 and 9. And technically it's 7 and 10 because uh, there's like a pre-show like red carpet extravaganza so really the actual movies don't start playing until an hour into the event so yeah uh, we're nine o'clock on wednesday so i think it'll just be us uh no one's coming to that <laughs> wonderful <laughs> that wasn't involved well i i'll how, i'll tell you what i'll be there i'll get i'll get my uh my ballyhoo edit done early um i did promise a friend to go tomorrow too and i'm, I'm gonna do my best to try to make it over but uh, if not, I'm definitely coming to yours because uh, I'd love to see what what the final product end up being. So, yeah, do yourself a favor and just show up at uh, ten for each of those uh, later blocks because, um, yeah, so you'll you'll only feel like you were there an hour <laughs> for sure. Then I'll just get all the other stuff done. And to be clear, I would love to go to each and every event, but I'm unfortunately. Uh, inundated with everything so i've got to balance it out but i i brad brad's uh been patient with me not attending these as of late so i'm I'm gonna do my best yeah, the, the other guys your first choice for you dude <laughs> you were I, on this one <laughs> i know i i was technically i can uh stand with stand with pride and your name's go. on the poster man it, it is on the po- <laughs> it is under editor both of you <laughs> I'm excited. I don't think I've made a 48 hour poster yet for Brad. That's awesome. Ooh, I'm excited now. All right. But Corinne, um, I know you're eating, but while you're eating, uh, can I just uh, go ahead and generally assume what you did on this production? Um, I assumed it had to do mostly with talking about anime to the crew members while um, they were hard at work making this movie. Uh, no, I was running the slate, actually. That's true. You were running, you were first AC, technically, if, I, if I'm getting my terminology correctly, Mr. Brad. Um, I have no idea. <laughs> yeah, on my side, it's slate. <laughs> okay. <laughs> but no, yeah. yeah, you were running slate. I heard you and you were, it was, it was actually like very prompt delivery. You were no nonsense. I loved it. Oh, thank you. I had never done it before, but you know, it's always kind of fun to, you know, when you see like behind the scenes documentaries or whatever, of the movie making, it's like scene one, take one action and you know, whatever. And you're like, oh, now I get to be in it. And that was pretty cool. And also I just helped out with carrying things around, moving things on in the, you know, the places where we were filming and just you know, generally helping out with whatever needed to be done. And I, I was uh, telling my mom last night as I was driving home that I was like, yeah, guess what, mom, my hand's going to be in the movie because there was a shot where Brad's like, just keep like hitting this thing and whoever's got a free <laughs> hand, just do it. And so I was like, I have a free hand. So I just kept hitting this thing. So won't say what it is because y'all have to go see the movie. Well, I mean, you two don't, but you at home need to see the movie. <laughs> hey, hey <laughs> but, uh, Corinne. You hear that, Brad? We don't have to watch it. Uh, yeah. Um, bad news. We, we reshot those shots. <laughs> uh, oh, really? Oh, no. They ended up, they ended up blown out. Um, so, yeah. I, can't, I honestly can't tell if you're shitting with me or if you're being legit. 
I'm being honest and I don't want to misrepresent you. Uh, I don't want you I don't want you to show up on Wednesday and be like, oh, where'd it go? I'll tell you right now. It's it's nothing you did. It's my bad camera work screwed screwed that over. So Oh, thanks. Yeah. <laughs> uh, my Hollywood debut <laughs> fell before it could even rise. Now 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 stop. Your it, name Grit. is still in the credits. Thanks. Yes. Corinne, now now stop it because we're gonna give you praise here because for every important job that gets an EPK interview or a podcast interview, there's always the production assistants and the grips and the people on the crew who are the actual badasses and heroes of the shoots because they are the ones who are making sure it actually functions so that a director can pace around going like, it's not perfect enough. You know? <laughs> like it definitely gave me a major respect for, well, just like everybody who works in the film industry in general, but really for actors because they really have to like get into character and do these like, you know, dozens of takes potentially. And there's like hundreds of people standing around, you know, on the big productions. So it's like, yeah, how do you stay in character when there's literally like 50 people all standing there just waiting for you to do your thing? And they're like holding stuff and staring at you. Mm -hmm. <laughs> it's like, ah, I'm intimidated and I wasn't even an actor. Yeah. Actors also get the hard end of the stick. I guess what I'm saying is that, that the director is an overrated uh, position in the project. <laughs> Sorry, Brad. Yeah. Well, the, I think it just, you know, just like goes though, to, so. to paraphrase another saying behind every good director is like a dozen or thousands of like really hardworking other people on the set. So absolutely. That's like, do you a wonderful think Steven Spielberg or uh, whoever would be where they are if they hadn't had, you know, those PAs or grips or uh, editors or whoever? I mean, we all know that the editor actually saves Star Wars as we know it. In yeah, the but, edit. We, but, we, but we don't talk about that because I'm not married to her anymore. We don't talk about that anymore, Corinne. Mm -hmm. Yeah, by the way, James, I know you moved away and you didn't get a chance to see my basement before you moved away. And it just it, it really hurts me. It really hurts me, George Lucas. Um, yes. No. Uh, yeah. No, you're right, Corinne. Like the, the, the behind every good director is a good crew. And Brad clearly has the best crews because he's usually the one who assembles the most eclectic group, eclectic and lovable group that has ever been assembled in Denver history. So congratulations. I had a again, blast. Buddy. Yeah, what? I had a blast at the, well, not only at the filming, but the rap party was a lot of fun too. So yeah, it just seemed like a really good group of talented people who seemed to work well together and just kind of had like a really good vision. And I think Brad was a, a big reason for that, but you know, everybody else did a great job. So I'm very excited to see the film on Wednesday. Yep. It'll be wonderful. And congratulations again, buddy, for another hard, 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 hard job that has been executed again with your elegance and grace and charm. Thank you. Yeah. Thanks. Thanks yeah. for being a part of it guys. Yeah. Not a problem. I wish I could have been a part of it more, but I got, uh, <laughs> and I wish I could have been at the rap party, but I spent five hours talking about the Marx brothers for value. So <laughs> <laughs> by the time I looked at the clock and I'm like, they're probably done for the night. Aren't they? They've, they've got to be sleepy. And then I kept getting texts into like 11 o'clock at night in the group chat going like, I guess I should have just gone. <laughs> <laughs> Um, but yeah, wonderful guys. Thank you so much for, um, Brad, for having me, uh, aboard the project again. I, I really appreciate you trusting me with assembling that footage. So yeah, super helpful. Yep. Um, on that note, you know, we don't just talk about Brad's, uh, the news about Brad's films. We talk about the news of other films. 
in a segment that is normally called Real News. But today it is called News on the March. It's Real News. Because I'm going to throw Citizen Kane references in here if I'm hosting. Uh, anyway, uh, there's not a whole lot, but there are some big like things. Um, I was not on last week. Did you guys talk about the fact that Marilyn Eastman died? Nope. Marilyn Eastman uh, was one of the uh, actresses and main financiers of Night of the Living Dead. Uh, she plays Helen Cooper, um, the poor woman whose uh, daughter is bitten by a zombie um, and she is fighting with her husband in the basement about whether it's okay to whether they should stay in the basement or be upstairs uh and uh yeah uh there's a there's a legend within that like that's a that's a key that's a key part of a legacy of a legendary movie that um it's a shame that uh uh it doesn't look like she did much more from what i can like see but uh you know it's the the I mean, to be able to help be one of the producers of one of the most influential horror films in film history, like that's something you can like walk away to your uh, walk away to your grave, like knowing that you did a job well done at the age of 87. So big bucket. No, no, no. There's a lot of Eastman's out there. Some of them are rich and uh, they don't know me and I don't want to know them because they're snooty now. But Marilyn Eastman wasn't. Marilyn Eastman was a legend in horror film, and she will be missed. You are related, but they just keep you uh, ostracized from the family. What, what's the point? What am I going to do that's going to be so embarrassing to the family, Brad? <laughs> you talk about the Marx Brothers too much. Well, I talk about Jack Benny too much. I don't talk about the Marx Brothers enough, Corinne. But on Ballyhoo, you will be able to hear a five-hour chat coming in November with me and special guest Tyler Maybe from Pop Culture Brews. That's right. I'm also going to plug my own shit, because why the hell not? Um, <laughs> yeah, Asner also died. Yes. Well, yeah, that was... Thanks Thanks for... <laughs> <laughs> thanks for spoiling. Uh, spoilers. <laughs> the, move, the move into this week's big death. Um, yes, Ed Asner from Mary Tyler Moore Show and uh, actor in, uh, in, in, a, in a plethora of film has passed away at the age of 91. A acting legend. Corinne and Brad. Um, I, Corinne, it sounds like you had to say something. Oh, I was just saying he's an up. He plays Carl, the main character. Mm-hmm. I mean, he did a lot of other voice work. He was in Gargoyles. He was um j jonah jameson and spider-man the animated series um but i i know him best as carl from up so that was that was one of my, my that was one of my my first exposures apart from mary tyler moore but also alfred hitchcock presents the untouchables the outer limits Gunsmoke, the fugitive he started in 1957 this guy has worked the gamut since the early days of television he did not mess around um so but brad you're a mary tyler moore fan how does this make you feel um yeah sad uh like i usually you know with celebrity deaths i'm like you know it's tragic but i didn't know them so you know what commentary can i have on them but um i did kind of feel like you know it was amazing that he lived this long um and he was just an amazing talent on that show uh it's too bad he didn't get more starring stuff yeah i mean he was on gargoyles he was living the dream (laughs) He did get to he get to live the lunch. He he found a way to keep consistently working. So you know, there's not yeah. 
there's no shame in that. Like that, that to have those stumbles when you are a working actor and you are, and one of those workaday actors and workhorse actors as Ed, Ed Asner was, you know, every job is a blessing and you give everything of yourself into those jobs. So at 91, he will be absolutely missed. Take care, Lou Grant. At some um, point I got to watch his spinoff series, Lou Grant. What? At some point I got to watch his spinoff series of Lou Grant. I've never seen it either. Um, yeah, America and more spawned like four spinoffs. Um, one of them being that, like Phyllis and Rhoda. Didn't we just lose somebody else from the Mary Tyler Moore show? Um, yeah, the Gavin McLeod, I think, a couple months ago. Yeah, I callously forgot him on this show. It was my bad. Um, um, and then obviously Mary Tyler Moore, I think, three or four years ago. Yeah. Uh, Betty White is the last person standing. Oh, wait, no, um, Cloris Leachman. Cloris Leachman died, really too. Different. Yeah. Cloris Leachman passed away, yeah. That that one was more f- personal to me because of Fra Blucher. <laughs> um, but yeah, so, so long, Ed. Thank you for all the memories. Last honest like thing, really, I have, Brad, unless something happened that you're aware of, uh, we got another, we got a pretty, a pretty good extensive look at uh, Clerks 3. <laughs> Um, where they're meticulously recreating shots from the original. So, um, uh, yeah, I mean, did you get the chance to see the stills yet? I haven't. I haven't reconnected with society at all, pretty much since you know Friday. So, um, I've right. heard things, but I haven't looked at anything. Yeah, no the uh, the 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 picture that has been uh, sent shows uh, the monitor uh, with uh, Brian O'Halloran and Jeff Anderson in a similar pose that they were back in 1994 for the original clerks. Um, oh, I did see that. Yeah. So it's, it's a lovely image. Um, and and there's other people attached that are just throwing in photos out on there on the internet. So, you know, like th- we're getting a good look at what this is going to be. Tre- Trevor Furman's the one where it's just, he aged so much that I'm just like, it's just, it's not that he looks bad. I'm just like, dang, you just look so different from, what is it now? Is it 14 years since Clerks 2? 15? 2006? Yeah. So 15, 15 years. Fuck. Um, I think the original Clerks was only 10 between 1 and 2. So Yeah. Well, no, 12 years. Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah. But yeah. Interesting. But yeah. Look and Rosario Clerks. Dawson hasn't aged at all. No, 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 no. She's an eternal. Don't you know that? Like my friend yeah. Kat. She's just an eternal, you know? Um, and Jeff and Brian are looking good too. So yeah. All this is looking cool. So yeah, look for Clerks 3 in uh summertime of 2022 or sometime in 2022. I don't fucking know. It'll come when it comes. And that's news unless I missed anything. Oh wait, the big news on the streets. The big news on the streets is that Bradley Haig has finished up another 48-hour film, which you can watch at the Bug I do have another night. I do have another piece of news, which I'm sure James has already heard, but shout out to James. The Rocketeer sequel is in development for Disney Plus. With it David f- Oyello. Yeah. Yep. It will focus on a retired Tuskegee airman who takes up the mantle. I like this idea a lot, Miss Corinne. This sounds like fun. Like that's yeah. a, is it going to be a series or a movie? Do we know? It's a movie. Huh. Yeah, something that... It's called like the return should... of the rocketeer God, it feels like they should make a tv show out of the rocketeer 2 at some point i, I like the idea of another movie i just <laughs> like it, maybe they should try to also do a tv show at some point 
I mean, maybe that's in the works down the line. I guess if the movie does well enough. So we got to make sure this movie is good enough to warrant a TV show. We'll leave that to James. James, if you're listening, that's your job. Yeah. And James, since you worked so hard to will this into existence, do me a favor. Start getting into 1994's The Shadow a little bit more than you already are. I know you're a fan of it, but become become a bigger fan so that I can get a Shadow reboot. Or maybe don't, and then I can find a way to sneak in and make my own. Who knows? Anyway, that's news. Hey, guys, did you guys know that you don't have to just stream shit? You can also mm-hmm. buy physical copies of them and embrace them on a shelf <gasps> like you're a classy librarian. Oh, my gosh. Really? Yes. Corinne, do you, know what, do, do you know what these are usually called? Uh, DVDs? And Blu-rays and 4Ks. Nah, I think it's just DVDs. <laughs> DVD releases and Blu-rays. Well... Uh, but whether, whether you think they're just DVDs or not, Karen, Arrow is going to prove you wrong by putting out a 4K of Dune, David Lynch's 1984 attempt to adapt the unfilmable book uh, that will now be filmed by Mr. <laughs> Denny Villanueva. Um, so, yeah, you can pick up uh, two different versions of it. Uh, one is assumedly the more collector edition version and one is a standard. Um, you will also be able to get Girls School Screamers from 1985, uh, courtesy of Vinegar Syndrome. Uh, the plot is seven college girls spend the weekend at an elegant estate, which begins as fun-filled adventure, but ends in a nightmare of gut-wrenching terror. That's about as vague as a, as a, as a description can get. Um, what's not so vague is Bugsy Malone from 1976 with Jodie Foster and Scott Bayo is coming through the Paramount Classics Volta and Blu-ray. So if you'd like to relive the Bugsy memories, check that out uh, of a more recent uh, of a more recent nature. Uh, the 2021 musical sensation in the Heights. Uh, and I say sensation because I thought it was sensational. Uh, you can pick it up on 4K uh, and Blu-ray uh, this week, if you so wish. Uh, from Kino Lorber, Vincent Price in The Last Man on Earth from 1964. Uh, which you can listen to a breakdown that I did of that on Ballyhoo before you pick it up if you have not seen it before, or just pick up the movie and fucking watch and don't listen to my bullshit. I really, I, I, I think that might be the better option. Um, although you would miss out on the pop domestic boys in that respect. Respect. Uh, Coraline's getting reissued uh, with a new cover from Leica. Is this? Oh no, this is from Shout Factory. Holy shit! Shout Factory's putting out Coraline. Is this just new covers? Am I crazy here? I don't know. I think it's new box art. Yeah, it's pretty standard. It's not. It doesn't look as neat as other box sets for it before or uh, cover art for it before, but that's all good. Um, Corinne, were you trying to say something? No. Oh, okay. Um, Criterion is putting out the 2015 uh, uh, film "Beast of No Nations," uh, the Netflix film, the first real theatrical Netflix uh, attempt. Um, and uh, yes. I, I was correct. Uh, Leica's putting out a bunch of their titles with new cover arts because the box trolls uh, are arguably one of James's favorite films from 2014 will be coming to you in a new cover edition from Shout Factory. Um, you will also be able to get 1963's The Raven from Kino Lorber with Vincent Price, Peter Laurie, and Boris Karloff. Um, so yeah, it's uh, this is in the vein of the Roger Corman comedy, a terrors kind of fi- vibe. Um, this is when he was working with these 
aged actors in quick turnaround movies that ended up making a huge uh, profit at the box office by doing more horror anthology that had a bit like comedy. Uh, there, I know for a fact you are also getting the comedy of terrors from 1963 with Price, Laurie, and Karloff as well. So you are getting a slew of horror legends courtesy of Roger Corman before he made Rock and Roll High School his masterpiece. Um, the Brotherhood of Satan from 1971 coming to you through Arrow Video. A family is trapped in a desert town by a cult, a cult of senior citizens who recruit the town's children to worship Satan. So, that sounds a little bit too close to home from the last four years. So I'm just going to um, skip that. Um, and uh, But you can also get Spirit Untamed, the movie from 2021. As a newsflash, the Spirit the spirit the horse series is still a thing corinne you're you're a little bit more in tune with animation of sorts is the spirit franchise lived on this long or i mean they just got a movie like that spirit sophia the first i don't even remember (laughs) they had a movie it was in theaters well yeah i remember spirit stallion of the cimarron with matt damon as the horse but there's a reason why yeah it was just in theaters like two months ago that's what this is this release he's talking about oh yeah i i just didn't realize they were rebooting the spirit uh the spirit franchise i gotta know what the new lucky prescott's life has changed forever when she moves from her home in the city to a small frontier town and befriends a wild mustang named spirit i thought the first spirit took place in the old west what the heck this is this can't be that this can't be an eternal horse can it um i don't know i haven't seen the first spirit in a really long time you know what this is a time where i bring my sister onto real nerds podcast to clarify the legacy of the movie that is spirit stallion of the cimarron because i don't remember it but i know she does because she loves horses and she loves that movie um hey guys the hate you'll love or hate all they had was a skill for violence and nothing to lose but their lives. 1969's The Devil's Eight, uh, coming to you from Scorpion Releasing, uh, featuring Christopher George, Fabian, Tom Nardini, Leslie Parrish, Ross Hagen. Yeah, so uh, the, the federal agents infiltrate a prison chain gang and help six hardened convicts escape in order to build a team to take down villainous crime bosses. This sounds like a 48-hour movie that I need Brad to make. <laughs> I would love to see this kind of movie out of you, Brad. Um, yeah, and that is Blu-rays. Every week, the real nerds uh, watch the movie of the week, but they also settle, settle down a little bit and kick back to things that they enjoy, things that give them comfort, things that... Uh, they things that uh, that that just make their spirits soar or totally sink, depending on what happens. And this is a segment that we call "What We've Been Watching." So, uh, yeah, this is the stuff we've been watching. All right, I'm going to start with Brad. Brad, have you even watched a thing this week apart from yourself getting sleepy? Um, I did. I, I watched Ted Lasso, the newest Ted Lasso, and uh, Ooh, me too. Great. Yeah, Karen and I both watched that. Oops, sorry. Um, yeah, we watched, watched it. And it was great. It, it really felt like the the series turned a corner and uh, started to tackle some more interesting stuff. Um, not that the show has been bad. It's just uh, you know it wasn't as progressing as quickly as the last season. So um, uh, yeah, if you uh, have been 
strangely disappointed. Uh, definitely check out this recent episode because it finally, finally uh, kind of puts the focus back on uh, Ted and not all the other characters. So what uh, I I've been meaning to ask, not not out of uh, the same uh, temor that our uh, blacklist discussions take. What is the exact peel of Ted Lasso? Um, I just I hear so much about it, but I don't I don't think I get a quantifiable answer as to its brilliance, other than it's just brilliant. It's, it's really it, well written. It just has a lot of like great memorable characters. All the performances are fantastic, and uh, you know it's just like a very hopeful and upbeat show. You know the Ted Lasso character, uh, Jason Sudeikis's character. You know he's very much about building up other people and just helping them to be the best versions of themselves. And he tells uh, a character in season one, he's like, "It's not about the wins and losses for me. The real um, job, like the real goal of coaching, is about helping these other people." And you know, I think like that, especially nowadays, like that's just so nice to see and like. Yeah, it's almost like free therapy just watching it. I don't know. Well, Brad, what do you think? Yeah, it's just it's refreshing to see a show that relies on positivity and not like, hey, here's a character and they've got a dark side, um, you know, or they're they're secretly a piece of shit. Uh, it's uh, it's just about like good old fashioned positivity and enthusiasm. Like, just like he he walks into this negative environment and just like through his sheer will and general niceness transforms all these people um by the end of the season and it's 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 not it doesn't feel contrived it all feels like natural like he naturally just wins them over so mm-hmm. yeah it's, it's it's great to see a positive show in this day and age you know because <laughs> so many shows are just inspired by that hbo renaissance you know from the early 2000s like all the premium content we have now is kind of has the same formula of, like i said before you know Hey, here's Don Draper. He's a pretty cool guy by the episode. Oh, yeah, he cheats on his wife and he's a piece of shit. Um, oh, no, he's not actually Don Draper. Oh, no. <laughs> yeah. Oh, guess what? He's also like, has, like, he's not really Don Draper and he's got a completely alternate identity and secret life. And um, yeah, it's like really just sad, negative enforcement <laughs> yeah. of society. The only one that uh, initially subverts it. For, to my mind in recent memory was Breaking Bad because it starts off with, oh no, it's a goofy chemistry character who's going to cook meth to raise money for cancer and then all of a sudden, no, he becomes the darkest element <laughs> in the world. <laughs> like, and, like, that was by design, so it's like, oh, yeah. from the get-go they were like, hey, let's turn this totally like, <laughs> let's do a show about creating a villain out of a nice guy. Yeah, it, and, and uh, one of the, it's one of the reasons why it's genius. But that, that, this does make Ted Lasso sound very appealing to me. I just like kind of like hearing the the general vibe that it's just a very positive show. I got the same thing from Anthony Kuba on pop domestic. So I'm kind of like, I think I've got a good primer to watch this show and not be disappointed. So it's also great to see just how far the characters have come. Like we're only a season and a half in. And if you look at back where they were, you know, in the pilot episode or at the beginning of season one, it's amazing to see like how much progress, even like arguably like background characters have made, like people who, you know, you didn't even, you kind of vaguely knew who they were, you know, in season one. And now they've come to the forefront in season two. And you're like, oh, yeah, like they're amazing. Like, yeah, it's so fun to see like their journey and the fact that like Ted comes in and he kind of starts everybody on their journey um, while also going on his own. Um, that's, yeah. Anyway, I'll talk about it when we get to me. But yeah, it's been a little, I, I think it, 
it was just not what people were expecting from season two. But now with this most recent episode, it's just kind of like changed the game as it were. Yeah. Um, and also, you know, it, if like we used to watch the league and people would be like, Oh, I don't watch the league. Cause uh, I'm not into fancy football, but that was, this just the backdrop. So if you're like, Oh, Ted Lasso, it's about uh, European football or I guess uh, world football. Um, uh, it, it doesn't matter. Like there's barely any of the game in it. It's just about the people behind it. Um, and like Corinne said, you know, there's characters that I just felt like were, you know, players on the team that would just be background. And a lot of them have turned into main characters on the show. So uh, it's pretty good. It's pretty, pretty refreshing to see. Lovely. Did you watch anything else, Brad, this week? Uh, one more thing. Uh, I just, just remembered as I watched Cliffhanger, the Sylvester Stallone <laughs> Rock climbing movie? <laughs> Question mark. <laughs> um, yeah, wow, that was a blockbuster back then. <laughs> um, it is wild. Uh, <laughs> John Lithgow is so arch in that uh, <laughs> between his weird accent and his super villainy and um, the, the 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 team he's assembled and. Uh, from the get-go, uh, so Cliffhanger is about, uh, I forget Stolen's character's name, uh, it doesn't really matter. Uh, Michael Rooker Michael Rooker is his best climbing buddy, and he injures himself climbing with his uh, girlfriend, and they have to be rescued, and during the rescue, Sylvester Stallone um, fails and uh, you know saves Rooker, but Rooker's girlfriend dies in the process, and they... It, it, it breaks him. So he stops rock climbing and a year goes by and he abandons his, uh, his own girlfriend and uh, decides to move on with his life and do other things. And as he, as he comes back to collect his stuff from his former life, um, some guy who works for the mint or the FBI, I don't know, there's some government structure uh, where there's a guy on the inside who's stealing from the Denver mint and they, they orchestrate a heist and uh, it, it, they try to do the heist uh, Dark Knight Rises in the air Nolan style. And it, it, it doesn't go as planned. And the three cases that hold the special money that they stole uh, falls into the Rocky Mountains. Uh, even though they fall at the same time, they uh, land in three vastly disparate places. <laughs> that, so throughout the movie, it takes the criminals hours and hours to track it down even though they have they all have like tracking um sensors in them they, they still fell miles of miles apart somehow um and uh yeah so the bad guys uh you know enlist um michael rooker initially to help them navigate the treacherous wilderness despite you know they got the tracker and then um Sylvester Stallone gets roped into it too. And, uh, you know, has to save his buddy's life and foil the plans. And it's, it's, it's silly. It's insane. Um, it's, it's everything an action movie from the nineties is. Um, and there's like a great transition from a real life shooting location to the finale on a soundstage when our Michael Rooker, uh, pulls one of the guys underwater, um, breaks out of the ice and pulls them under the water. Like there's this drawbridge in the Rocky Mountains. Um, yeah. And there's like the finale where the helicopter falls and gets lodged in a crevice in the mountains. Uh, there's this huge wide shot where you blatantly see the harnesses keeping it uh, <laughs> from falling off the mountain. Um, 
it's pretty pretty funny um but yeah the dialogue's cheesy and um yeah Brad, I feel like I watched one of those like insider videos where they bring in like an expert in a certain field and have them go through different movie scenes about whatever it is. And I think they had like a rock climbing expert (laughs) review some scenes from this movie. And he's like, yeah, that's not. (laughs) I don't remember everything he said, but I I feel like he was not so kind to it. Also, didn't they film in the Alps? Yeah, it feels like there's like several different mountain locations that are pieced together. They don't. It doesn't feel like one natural uh, wilderness. Um, but uh, yeah, Rennie Harlan directed it, um, and it definitely feels like, hey, you did Die Hard too. Um, can you do Die Hard with rock climbing? So yeah, that's what that's pretty much what it is. Um, I, I watched uh, Speed, and that's Die Hard on a train or Die Hard on a bus. Um, and now die hard on us uh, uh, climbing a mountain. There's even barely rock climbing in it. Like I don't rock climb, so I don't know all the lingo and technique. But I, it doesn't feel like this movie uh, did a lot of research on that. So it definitely feels like the the Cliff Notes version of rock climbing. Technically, the eager the Iger sanction with uh, directed by Clint Eastwood has more to do with mountain climbing than cliffhanger has to do with mountain climbing <laughs> oh that, that reminds me in the very that again that opening where Rooker's girlfriend dies um you know they get rescued by by a helicopter and they have to you know for some reason uh, he busted his knee and they're trapped on like a really narrow spire so the helicopter has to come in and drop the harness or the wire down to him and connect and then it just like veers off to the right to like a higher altitude and like shouldn't just go lower so they can you know not pull themselves up into it can't like it go down slide <laughs> down into it uh, why are they making it harder than it has to be and I, I don't buy for a second that just um jamming a needle into a rock face holds the other end of it in place so uh but she ultimately dies because her harness comes loose and it's just like uh this is so contrived like i don't know it, it's it yeah it's weird anyway uh <laughs> that's what i watched this week wonderful corinne yeah so jumping off of brad talking about ted lasso uh yeah so a lot of people online have been saying like oh is ted lasso in a sophomore slump because it you know it was focusing on other characters not so much on ted or the writing didn't feel as crisp and the jokes weren't as funny or um i think brad maybe brought up before but just like you know, characters would get like a lot of development, but then it wouldn't really like get brought up again. And um, like, it just all of a sudden, like, you know, this character did like a 180 and like overnight or something. But um, yeah, I don't know why people are all of a sudden just like, oh, Ted Lasso, it's like bad for some reason. Uh, And I've also like theorized like, well, maybe now because so many people binge watch the first season now watching it week to week, you know, you don't think it's as good. Uh, but in actuality, it's just fine. It's just as good as the first season, I think. Um, but anyway, um, I found an article online after this le- this last week's episode um, about uh, some some guy was like theorizing that you know it's not heading the way you do, the way you think. It's heading toward a breakdown, and they were saying that because of certain things that Ted went through in season one he's actually having like a little bit of a mental crisis. And so he's trying to push through that by basically 
playing, uh, like he's acting like himself. Like he's almost like putting on the character of himself to get through these situations. And mm-hmm. that's why that, you know, they were explaining like, that's why some of the dialogue feels a little forced. That's why his jokes aren't as funny. Like he just comes across as like, he's trying too hard to almost be like himself. And uh, again, it was written before this last week's episode. And then in this week's episode, we found out that's exactly what happened because we don't know exactly the full story yet, but something about a certain situation just caused Ted to just like, leave uh and he had like a basically a panic attack and you know he has to have this nice you know come to jesus moment with the sports psychologist that they brought in at the beginning of the season and you know that we were all like oh they're gonna have to sit down and have a session well here it is that's gonna be in next week's episode so yeah i'm very uh very excited to see where it goes from here wonderful what else did you watch? So the other two things I'll talk about, uh, both, weirdly, are both Chinese. I did not plan that. Um, the first is a movie I watched yesterday. It's called The Yin Yang Master. It's on Netflix. And it is a movie that was made in China, but they uh, have English subtitles and they also have English audio if you want to hear it dubbed over. Um, and the premise is that So they call it the yin yang bureau. And it's basically like these people who can use magic to like fight off demons and stuff, uh, monsters. And there's a person within the yin yang bureau and they think he like betrayed them, but he didn't actually betray them or did he? And he's like actually a half demon. So they think like, Oh, because of his demon blood, like he's evil and he ends up leaving and then it, it picks up like seven years later and he's been living in the forest with these demons and this evil, this great evil demon that was supposedly um, destroyed, whatever, you know, like thousands of years ago is starting to make a comeback. So he feels like it's his responsibility to like stop this evil demon. And anyway, so it's just like a whole bunch of drama and it's, it's, here's how I would describe it. It is too good to be campy, but it's also too campy to be good. Like it is just so weird because there are a couple of sequences where I was like, oh my gosh, this is like really, really well done. There's a sequence, uh, maybe like 40 or 50 minutes in where they're in the demon world and his uh, former love interest friend lady shows up and they have this fight with like illusions and it's like really, really well done. I was like, oh, this is so cool. But then at the end of the movie, it basically turns into a Dragon Ball Z fight, but live action and it looks really stupid. But I don't, and, and then like, so the main character, his name is Ching Ming, I think, if I remember it correctly. Um, and the, when you first meet him, he's he reminded me of that Bart Simpson meme where he's like, <laughs> he's such a bitch. Like, this guy is such, like, he's a bastard and he loves it. Like, he's just, like, over here just, like, whipping out the fan and just fanning himself while he's, like, robbing this guy. And he's like, I don't give a shit about you. And I'm like, oh, yes, I love it. Love this attitude. 
And then, like, later in the movie, he just suddenly becomes, like, a good guy. Like, he's basically Robin Hood or something. I'm like, what the hell? Like, I thought he was, like, this bitch and he loved it. But anyway. But then at the very end of the movie, he makes an interesting decision. And I was like, hmm, that's different than how I thought this was going to end. Like, it's kind of a happy ending, but, like the casualties were less than they might have been, but, like, there's still, like, some drama there. And I don't know if I would necessarily recommend it to people, but I do kind of want to watch it with some friends of mine just so they can see just how weird it is and we can all, like, roast it together, but also, like, enjoy those parts of the movies that are really, really good. So it's interesting. The Yin Yang Master, it's on Netflix. There's also another movie called the yin yang master the jade dream or something i forget the exact title um it's a similar title they're not uh i don't know exactly how it worked out they're not like a sequel or anything it's like two completely different stories but it has like similar premises and similar characters but it's a completely different thing because i guess the one i watched is based on a video game and the other one's based on a book or something I don't know. I do kind of want to watch the other one, though, just to see exactly what the differences are. But anyway, The Yin Yang Master, it's on Netflix. And then the other thing I've been watching is also on Netflix. I have to double check the title, um, but it's a show. It's kind of like anime. Like, it looks a lot like anime, but it's Chinese, so it's technically not. Um, But I believe it is called The Daily Life of the Immortal King. Yeah, The Daily Life of the Immortal King. And yeah, it sounds really cool. But the premise is that um, this, he's probably like high school age. This boy goes to a school where everybody's training to, like they're training their spiritual power to like fight demons and things. And um, he is secretly like the most powerful being on the planet probably um like because when he was six years old he defeated this like monster that was wrecking the city that even the most trained warriors were just like getting their asses handed to them and he just walks up and he's like oh no you spilled my food on the ground and then he just like punches it and it goes flying and everybody's like what the hell so anyway so he goes to school and you know there's some shenanigans with like his classmates and he's trying to like keep his actual power level like under wraps but everybody keeps like messing up so he keeps having to help them it kind of reminds me i talked oh probably a year ago now about the anime called uh psyche k i can't remember the full title but i think that is yeah so there's an anime it's kind of similar where it's just like this boy and he has psychic powers and he's like secretly the most powerful being on the planet and he keeps trying to like use his powers to help everybody, but he can't let them know that he's that powerful. So again, it, it kind of reminded me a lot of that. But anyway, this is this uh, immortal life or the daily life of the immortal king is also supposed to be based on like a book or a Chinese legend or something. So it's okay. The and the episodes are pretty short; they're like fifteen minutes long, so that makes it kind of nice. But just something different. So anyway, that's what I've been watching. Wonderful. Well, I wasn't here last week, so buckle up for a funnel watch list, boys and girls. 
Uh, after our review of Free Guy, um, I went through Breakfast at Tiffany's twice uh, for um, uh, the uh, eventual recording of our episode. Um, and uh, the, the movies, the movies obviously got its issues with Mickey Rooney's portrayal and get some hard questions in the Ballyhoo talking about how that portrayal is perceived and um, by specifically by the Asian American community and in the Asian community at large. And also talking about how, like if that character wasn't in that role of Japanese uh, of a Japanese landlord, what other stereotype would they have replaced it with? So there was a lot of tough questions we had to suss through, but I, I will say that breakfast at Tiffany's is the, it's it's still an interesting movie to watch considering how innovative it is from certain character tropes between um uh how they go lightly and peter um and and those are dove into pretty deeply on the episode so corinne have you seen breakfast at tiffany's i have it's been a couple of years but i I don't know it's not one of my favorite movies of hers but i have seen it i mean I i think she's good in it but it's not my favorite. Okay. Cause I was curious if it was like for a, a beloved one for you, because I know there's a, there's a lot of love for this movie. There's a lot of love for this movie, and, but, but the statement always comes up. Every person I know who says they love this movie is just like, except for Mickey Rooney. And I'm like, yeah, that's pretty much how I feel except for Mickey Rooney. <laughs> Everything in the movie is pretty fun to watch, even with historical context in mind. <laughs> um, but, uh, but yeah, no. So look for that episode eventually here. Got a bunch of fun ones coming up. I'm skipping ahead though. Um, uh, next, uh, this coming week, you guys are going to be hearing uh, the voices of Lloyd Kaufman and Zach Vines as we talk about Golden Age Hollywood in general and how it inspired him and his career at Troma. But anyway, uh, after that though, I needed to turn my brain off. And so I watched a movie called Look Who's Laughing from 1941. I had seen it before, but I was not really paying attention. I think I was kind of checking off boxes in radio and adaptations from the 40s of. Uh, famous comedians <clears throat> this one has edgar bergen and charlie mccarthy on it and i've talked about their film career before as um as i've been rediscovering their film career there's a lot more disappointments than successes this is one of their successes um it also features jim and mary and jordan playing fibber mcgee and molly uh for the real nerds audience who don't really know fibber mcgee and molly it's it's uh the, the the concept of fibber mcgee is that he's a guy who tells tall tales and is a braggart and he he uh, is married to his long-suffering but sweet-natured wife, Molly, and they uh, have misadventures with the different residents of 79 Wistful Vista, uh, which consider, consists of the old-timer, uh, a little girl that Marion Jordan does the voice of, and uh, the great Gildersleeve. <laughs> he is. Um, and uh, the great Gildersleeve is in this movie, too. The basic plot of the movie is, is that uh, Fibber McGee is trying to get a uh, airplane factory built in Westville Vista and not in another location. And he's fighting Gildersleeve over uh, this battle to get the, uh, uh, the, <laughs> the plane plant built there. And Edgar Bergen uh, flying on a, to a vacation elsewhere with Charlie McCarthy. He and Charlie McCarthy, by the way, are flying the plane. Because you understand Edgar Bergen is not only a skilled pilot, but so is Charlie McCarthy, because the dummy is real, guys. Um, But they land in Wistful Vista, and uh, they just kind of have some misadventures through Wistful Vista with this loose plot about the airplane factory. It does actually feel like a very legitimate Fibber McGee and Molly episode with Edgar Bergen and Charlie McCarthy as guest stars, even though the 
the, the billing suggests that Bergen and McCarthy are the actual like heroes of the movie. And I'm like, I think it's kind of like an even keeled thing. Um, and you also have early Lucille Ball before she's Lucille Ball that we know and love today. Um, playing very much a love interest for Bergen. Uh, you get some wonderful Charlie McCarthy moments in here where you, you really do remember like how magical it must have been for somebody like Jim Henson to watch that and go like, man, you can make these things feel real. Like it's crazy. Um, so, so that was fun to go through. I actually rewatched it twice because I was just like, I just, I just am loving the wholesome, <laughs> the wholesome nature of Fibber McGee and Molly at the moment. Um, and then, um, I was pointed to by Attaboy Clarence, uh, a John Houston written movie that I had not had on my radar called three strangers uh from 1946 and this is a movie that john houston wrote with howard koch um eventually touching it up for direction by another director stars P- peter laurie sydney greensheet and Fer- geraldine fitzgerald uh as three strangers who uh all go into a room at the behest of geraldine and uh they pr- they make a wish that they all agree upon and put it inside of this Chinese idol. And then at midnight, they will, but they have to remain strangers. They can't know each, each other's names until after the wish has been made at midnight. And they all basically make a wish for a winning sweepstakes ticket to win uh, so that it would benefit them all. And then the movie, um, after the wish is made, it breaks off and it goes into their three different desires and how, uh, and also their own criminality traits. Um, so it ends up kind of diverging into, I don't want to say this is Pulp Fiction before Pulp Fiction, but there is a, there is an argument to be made about the, the way the structure, uh, of the script plays out in out of sequence that, uh, in certain regards that you could, you, you could see somebody like Quentin Tarantino and Roger Avery looking at this and going like, let's, let's fudge with the timeline a little bit here. Uh, but this is Peter Laurie playing a character named Johnny West. And, uh, I learned this from Attaboy Clarence after, uh, watching the movie, um, that, uh, that this role was supposed to be played by other people amongst, amongst which was Errol Flynn, and when he didn't do it, Peter Laurie steps into the role and they just don't bother to change the name of Peter Laurie's character from Johnny West to something else that befits Peter Laurie more. So you've got Peter Laurie, this uh, Austro-Hungarian immigrant playing Johnny West. It, it is a little striking, uh, but uh, but he gives one of the best performances in a movie I've ever seen that doesn't require him to be a villain or uh, a henchman or a creepy guy like he is like a genuinely redeemed soul in the movie and it's like really cool to watch and i always love whenever peter laurie uh subverts expectation and uh sydney green street is playing into his uh bad guy stereotypes but he's also kind of playing more like a uh a, a coen brothers fargo-esque kind of thing like he's kind of like a, a, a william h macy to an extent because he gets himself into his own jam um and so it is quite fun to look at and watch. And Geraldine Fitzgerald is great too. She's trying to break away from her. Uh, she's trying to get back together with her husband who had already left her because she was, uh, she was, she was playing around. And I think that the movie is like, if you, if Brad, this is actually a movie I'd love to know what you think of it. If you were to sit down and watch it and see how they're structuring it and how everything comes together, it's kind of like, 
it's kind of like the an episode of a really interesting anthology TV show to a certain respect of just like this what if. Um, but you would also just, I think you would just be intrigued by how much they get away with. Cause there's a scene where they, uh, Sydney Greenstreet is about to hang himself and it's pretty fucking brutal <laughs> the way they're showing it. Like it is not of the era. Um, and, uh, but yeah, so if you, if you haven't seen three strangers, check it out. Um, I think Ryan would like it too. Corinne, heck Corinne, you might get a kick out of it too. I, th- I think it's a movie people can enjoy. Uh, and then I rewatched uh, Shock Corridor from 1963. It's a movie I had not seen in a long ass time. Uh, Samuel Fuller. It's about a gentleman who is trying to investigate a murder inside a mental asylum in the 60s by going in uh, undercover as somebody who is himself insane. His insanity drives from the fact that his his story is, is that he's lusting after his sister. And so they put him away for that. Um, and then slowly but surely, as he's trying to solve these mysteries of who killed somebody in the uh, mental asylum, you see that the different people he talks to represent a different disenfranchised person in society that has been twisted and warped by society's ills to the point where they have become inverted versions of themselves. It's a very controversial film. One of its most controversial elements involves an African-American gentleman uh, who in the asylum thinks that he is a white supremacist, um, which sounds a lot like the Clayton Bigsby, David Chappelle sketch, but it's treated very sincerely. It's treated in a very, it's treated in a very frankly shocking way for the era that I was like, I was gobsmacked when I first saw it and watching it now, it plays interestingly. I don't know how well it holds uh, in some regard, but it is like it is a daring performance regardless. Um, so, yeah, Shock Corridor. And then I rewatched The Thing from Another World, the original version produced by Howard Hawks, uh, possibly directed by it. It depends on who you're talking to. Um, and it's fine. It's, it's, a, it's a good movie. It's a good sci-fi movie from the era. The, the remake of The Thing is better for me in a lot of ways. So I would say that that's the thing to go towards. Uh, I rewatched Terror Firmer, the trauma film uh, Lloyd Kaufman directed, um, where uh, uh, people are trying to make a movie and there's a bunch of murders going on. And it's a very, very aggressively transgressive film uh, that uh, is not for everybody. But uh, if you are into transgressive cinema like that, like a Lloyd Kaufman or a John Waters, uh, it is a very interesting commentary on the film industry as it existed in the 90s. Uh, so I would definitely seek it out if that's something that's up your up your alley. Um, for, as somebody who can appreciate trauma, maybe I'm not the same super fan that um, uh, Zach Bynes is or Richard Taylor is, but I do appreciate trauma stuff when I see it. And this is clearly one of their masterpieces. And James Gunn uh, was involved in the co-writing of it. So uh, it's it's very, very much worth your time if you're looking into digging into that. Um, and then the last thing I rewatched was Love Thy Neighbor from 1940, uh, which is the third the third in the Mark Sandrich, uh, Jack Benny trilogy. And, uh, it's, it's a, it's a, it's a catchy, it, it's a catchy movie in a lot of regards because it's about the Jack Benny, Fred Allen feud. Uh, it's, um, it's, it's not as solid as Buck Benny rides again to me, but it is also really fun watching Fred Allen act because he doesn't get to get a lot of movies to act in. So anytime you see him, you're appreciating what he could have offered, but also Fred wasn't really a film actor and, uh, you do also get more Teresa Harris and Eddie Rochester Anderson, which is uh, obviously a, a big source of why I love those films. Um, 
and you get Mary Kelly, who was uh, Jack's uh, old girlfriend in vaudeville uh, at playing a maid in the movie. So there's a lot of fun Easter eggs for Benny fans in there. Uh, as a movie, it's a little flimsy. Uh, it doesn't have the same uh, panache as Bug Benny Rides Again, but it's still a pretty solid Benny entry that uh, it's clear why it was a big box office hit. Um, but there's also a lot of uh, baggage attached to it that would be to, need to be discussed. So if it's something that interests you in the Benny world, it's something that would uh, be up your alley if you could seek it out. Uh, and that's all I watched this week. This week on Real Nerds Podcast, we saw... Nia DaCosta's Candyman. Corinne, did you even see this movie that I recommended to you? Nope. Everybody should just go watch that TikTok series of a woman finding a hidden apartment behind her bathroom mirror instead. All right, Corinne. Brad, should people go watch Candyman 2021? I don't know. If if you share my my taste in movies, then... um... Yeah, uh, it's. I was actually kind of surprised. Um, I, I'm not. I only saw the original like two years ago at, uh, at an Esquire Midnight uh, for the first time, and um, it wasn't blown away by it. Uh, it was kind of silly and cheesy, and like the backstory behind Candyman just didn't impress me. But uh, what they do in this movie uh, to tie. I guess there's probably some sequels too. It, just, it feels like they definitely use this movie to create a Candyman universe. And um, uh, I was, I was impressed. Like I wouldn't go see it because of the kills or anything. Like that's not uh, the most impressive part. The most impressive part is that it's actual ties to um, racial injustice. I, I guess um, I, I really enjoyed what it did with that. So yeah, it's, 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 it's actually pretty cool. Yeah, I'm going to agree with Brad. Uh, I really like the movie, um, but I will go a little bit above and beyond Brad. Um, the movie does a lot um, to satisfy me as a fan of, of the original Candyman. And I, I appreciate the sequels, but I, I think that first one's more my bag. Um, but this this update and uh, extension of the mythology, I think, is expertly handled. Uh, the movie is tense. Uh, it has genuine moments of shock, terror, and scare uh, that I think are absolutely poignant and important. Um, but mostly, it just it is a good horror movie. Like it is a solid horror movie. It it, it does the job of scaring the shit out of you. Um, uh, Mateen is really good in the movie. Um, I appreciated the uh, way they handled the twist at the end. Um, and we will talk more about that when we get into the spoilers. But yeah, if you are looking for any alleviation of fears of what they're doing to the Candyman franchise, rest assured, Jordan Peele and Neil DaCosta do a wonderful job of getting this thing right. So with that, here's the trailer for Candyman. This is where it all began. The story of Candyman. Local character, he walk around handing out candy to the neighborhood kids. One day. A couple of kids get razor blades in their candy. Police come around. That's when I saw the true face of fear. Get on your knees. Hands, hands, hands. They beat him, tortured him, killed him right there on the spot. A couple weeks later, more razor blades and more candy. He'd been innocent. So he's real? Candyman ain't a he. Candyman's the whole damn hive. 
if you're out here looking for Candyman. You ask me? Stay away. I feel really connected to this story. Go on. Right here, in this neighborhood, the legend started. Uh-huh. And the legend is, if we say hey, his hey, name five, five times, times while looking in the mirror, we could summon him. Summon the Candyman. Hell no. Candyman. Anthony, no. Candyman. Stop. I don't want to get creeped out in my new apartment before bed. Candyman. Black people don't need to be summoning. Don't. How dare you? Don't say that. Say his name. Candyman. You better not do that last one. Candyman. Candyman. You want to be a part of the story, right? No. Say his name. Candyman. Anthony? Anthony. 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 You okay? Anthony. What the hell is going on? This neighborhood is haunted. I think I made a mistake. I brought him back. Candyman isn't real. He told me he has purpose for you. Tell everyone. <laughs> New to the neighborhood. You should say it. Candyman. Say his name. Candyman! Candyman uh, picks up years after uh, the original Candyman, but it really begins in 1977 following the exploits of a gentleman who is uh, hiding in the walls of the projects of, uh, uh, of the projects of uh, God. My brain is Cabrini Green. Cabrini Green, yeah. Cabrini Green, <clears throat> sorry guys, um, uh, who uh, is offering candy to children and it has been reported that he has been offering children candy filled with razor blades. Uh, he comes out and offers to him, we hear a scream and uh, then it cuts to modern day where we have the Mateen character, Anthony and his girlfriend living in an apartment uh, and uh, he's looking for a new art project to give to an art installation and he stumbles across the legend of Candyman when his girlfriend's uh, brother uh, tells the story of Helen Lyle from the first movie. Um, in the, this movie, it seems that the legend has become from Candyman 1 that Helen Lyle was the killer and that Candyman is not involved. But then they're aware of Candyman. So it's like it's almost like the legend has been purported that Helen Lyle was just a crazy woman that committed these murders. And so the movie ends up becoming really like it's almost like a soft reboot of uh, Candyman, uh, the first one, because we do go through similar elements of those stories. However, the idea of cultural appropriation of art, um, racial injustice um, and embracing an antihero become key in this film. Um, Brad, I, I was wondering if you could, now that we get in, in spoiler territory, can you follow up a little bit on why this film kind of worked better for you than maybe the original one? Uh, I forgot to say in the beginning, like there were parts where I was like really tuned out, like they got kind of boring, but the, the most fascinating part for me was that, um, uh, the original story was that, uh, uh, I forget what his name is, but it's like whatever Tony Todd's character was, um, he was like this revolutionary war guy. And it's like, it was this convoluted story that, um, didn't. It's Daniel Robitaille. Daniel Robitaille. Like, 
like I wasn't sure why he was called the Candyman and like why did it have to be from the Revolutionary War. Um, but this movie kind of sets up that there are generations of Candyman, um, yeah. and they're all tied to uh, you know the white supremacy. Um, like has created all these monsters um, from their uh, in, like the injustices that they put upon them um, throughout time. Uh, and so uh, Anthony is like the latest uh, creation. Um, like he's the, he's the latest in, the, in the, the, the lineage. So they're, they're, they're like, it's a sequel, but it's also a reboot. Um, yeah. It's it's um and something that's when you when you're saying that it's expanding into they call it the hive, and um it consists of folks like the William Burke is the is the uh, Candyman uh that the the Candyman proxy that we see at the beginning because he's got an actual like he's he's disfigured and he's got one of those medical hooks, um uh, hook hands and you also have uh actual figures of racial injustice like George Stinney and James Bird Jr. Uh, being alluded to as um, as people who have carried on the Candyman mythos, but they do establish that Daniel Robitaille is the first. And Candyman. Emmett Till, Emmett Till was portrayed in the one of the coolest parts is like the the storytelling and the flashbacks are done by like these uh, like dark two dimensional puppets, um, like are like silhouettes on a wall, but they're they're or marionettes, I guess is better. Uh, or shadow puppet, like I guess like shadow, shadow puppet. puppets, yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, which are really cool and creepy. Um, but yeah, Emmett Till is one of them. Um, so yeah, it just ties like all these historical references too into like this urban legend. Um, but it, the, the silly parts for me were like the guy who knows the most about that story is trying to recreate it. And he just like goes from like, a, it just seems like he's a normal guy to completely off his rocker, which is got like a huge 180 is weird. And then the, the girls in the high school who do it just seems like like that's a scene you could probably cut and the movie would still feel more cohesive. Uh, it's just at, it's just like it almost like a producer said like, Hey, we need more violent stuff in this movie um, or more, more scares. Can you just add a scene to it? You talking about uh, the school scene? Yeah. The girls in the, in the bathroom. So um, I was, I was in your boat, Brad, until after watching the movie, I talked a little bit with Jack Hanley and he gave me something that made that turn my brain around on that pretty quick, which was that the idea of, well, one, number one, there's the, there is the idea that these, these, obviously these girls disassociated from the problems of, of inner city, of inner city gentrification and uh, being put through a system that doesn't treat them correctly. Like they, they are just, they, they have no respect for the, for, for any form of the fear that comes through that curse. But also, you know, there is that element of cultural appropriation. Like they're taking on the mythos for themselves and they pay the price in that, in that bathroom, in that regard. Um, there, so there, there is that element of cultural appropriation that counterbalances what's going on, uh, in the main plot. Um, it does seem a little disjointed, but I guess thematically I enjoy it, but I understand what you're saying that it's like, yeah, it's, it's, it's not bad. It just seems a little extra, you know, like, yeah, it, like it, if it realistically like you think additional. about it, yeah, realistically when you think about it, like you you just up your body count to like a very public setting. And so it's like how, you know, the movie can't be intimate anymore. Like the legend is like reaching many more people. So it, you know, in the real life, it would it would probably become like national news at that point, and like yeah. no one would no one would no one would think that the the legend is fake anymore. You know, 
Right. Well, and it's, but it's interesting how the, uh, how the the mythos of Candyman to me has always played out where it was kind of like insular and it always feels like the outside world up to this up to a certain point in this movie especially is is almost kind of like isolated from it and it's just considered regular murder which is kind of like this you know like this interesting way of of how like st- important stories about people's murders are swept under the rug but you know like I do think that like there is something about the juxtaposition that makes it interesting to still have it in the movie but i get i totally get what you're saying um i will say that there is a if i had one complaint about the movie um apart from tony todd not uh coming on screen for more than 30 seconds just to say hi to me because i would love to just say hi to tony todd and be like hey i hope you're doing okay um Uh, dh tony todd cgi tony todd yeah 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 uh but uh but there is this element of the Burke character, and I I I, I um, misremembered it. Sherman Fields is the one that um, is the hooked man um, at the beginning. William Burke is the um, is the character that Coleman Domingo plays, um, and uh, his character is scarred by the idea of Candyman. And the, the I guess we can get into the big twist of this movie. So Mateen goes through the Candyman, uh, the Candyman experiences that Helen Lyle has dealt with and uh, in the first movie, but from, from a different vantage point and perspective and um, people around him are dying. He is slowly transforming though. And there is a revelation that he uh, was actually the baby that Helen Lyle saved and gave to a woman in the first Candyman which is actually very important. Now I'm Brad, since you'd only seen the first one not too long ago and probably, and I, you, I can't remember. Did you say you didn't really remember much of the first Candyman going into this one? Uh, not much of like the bulk of the movie, but I do remember uh, uh, Virginia Madsen, like taking like go, there, that whole bonfire at the end. I do remember. Yeah. Yeah. So the, so she, that I forgot that she died though. <laughs> oh yeah. 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 Um, she actually, at the end of the original one, she becomes her own version of the Candyman, going after her, uh, the lover that scorned her. But um, yeah, no, uh, Mateen is established to be the child, and there's established a mythos that uh, Robot- Robotel was, Robotelli was obsessed with this child in the first one, and the connection, the, the connective tissue for that is that he is wanting to pass on the legacy, and this is what William Burke believes. And so basically he, there is a disconnect where Mateen goes to confront Burke and he's basically entranced by the Candyman spirit. And Burke is using this to basically mutilate Mateen to create the new Candyman. Um, uh, and Burke's reasonings for it are interesting and they carry off in the most ballsiest move that a franchise has has made at all in the last couple of years any franchise doesn't matter it's a ballsy move difference between exciting and shocking and actually being ballsy um but uh burke's uh reasoning is to create a protector in the form of Candyman for the community that has been gentrified and forgotten and tossed aside and I think that's a really interesting move for a horror franchise to make. 
to actively make your traditional villain character an ant- a full on we're labeling it anti-hero. Yeah. Um, I don't know. I, I was I, before I even go into my spiel, Brad, how'd you feel about it? Uh, I was kind of cool with it. Like, mm-hmm. it, um, I mean, the, the police are kind of portrayed in a stereotypical way. So it's easy to accomplish that, um, in a stereotypical negative way. Um, so I can't wait to hear Ryan's thoughts on this. <laughs> um, but, they give uh, it a five star on uh, Letterboxd. I saw so. Oh, okay, cool. Well, <laughs> um, uh, yeah, I just, I just, like, like, um, I, I think, like I said, I think my, I'm most impressed by the fact that it um, is like a sequel, a reboot, and a remake, all in one movie, and um, it, it, like it, it is a interesting way to generate like a new franchise, like rebuild the franchise, like uh, in a sort of yeah anti-hero sort of way like yeah i don't know I'm, I'm i'm just fine with it like i said i'm not like a huge fan of the originals so um you know it this feels like a clean sa- slate for me so i'm like okay if this was the first one i saw like i'd be like cool um well and, um, and that so like i'll tell you like i i'm in your boat that i agree i i agree with the decision and i love the decision that's why i say it's the ballsiest decision that's been made for a franchise in years um it took me back at first because that the when they shoot him when the police shoot him, it was an unnerving image for to watch in a theater. Um, but then to get, so they they arrest her and they put her in the back of the cop car and they're trying to uh, get her to tell the sto- to, to to go along with the police side of the story, um, which obviously we're le- we are talking into the you know the more recent accountability toward police officers in the um, <clears throat> in this film and. And she she basically agrees to it only if she can look in the mirror and he adjusts the rear view mirror and he does she does the Candyman, Candyman, Candyman. And from inside the car, we watch a very, very intense sequence where Candyman yeah. has been reborn. I guess uh, I'm more interested to, uh, to watch who it pisses off. <laughs> um, yeah, I, I haven't heard a lot of throwback. Uh, online i don't know I've, i mean i don't know if you've seen anything but i have not read a peep i've heard people wondering if this fudges with the mythology of Candyman more than anything else and like i would say it doesn't i think it expands the mythology uh reasonably because the tony todd Candyman is a is a story that as purposed by the original story by clive barker works on its own merit. But if you are going to continue this franchise and you do want to be relevant to what Bernard Rose took from that original Barker story and putting into this new one, it makes sense to address it this way. And what's more, it makes sense to address it to the fact that you have to take it down this angle. And it is a, it is an into that form of a, of a, of an anti-hero for the community. Like the line, they never say the line, the, 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 the classic line from Candyman be my victim in this one. Like Todd's big line is tell everyone like it's chilling. It's very chilling to watch. Uh, And go ahead. Yeah. I I think it's cool that they transformed it into, instead of like this kind of arbitrary um, smaller, story between a couple people into this lineage of um uh God, what's the I, there's like the word that's like revenge 
guys, uh, uh, this like a lineage of guys seeking revenge for racial injustice. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah. And not because like, I mean, it's, it's not always because of that, but uh, like, like the candy man is not, it's, it's more of like this, like this um, aloofness towards like this legend, you know, that, you know, they're not being taken seriously. And that's kind of what like talking to the mirror five times and treating it as a joke um, draws them out as. So it's like, um, you know, we're not here to amuse you uh, yeah. with your little game. You know, we're, you know, if, if you're going to take our history and then laugh at it, um, he's going to come for you. Yeah. Laugh at it or appropriate it the way the girls do in the school or even the way the art, the, the artists do and the, the way they're treating the art at a certain point and like, you know, uh, appropriating that pain. And yeah. I think that, uh, I mean, like, I'm, I mean, being that this is a horror movie, I think it would be important to talk about the kills. I think the first, uh, the first kill uh, in the art gallery is very creative with how it plays around with the camera and the splitting of that screen with the hook. Um, and it does yeah. the same things where it's, you know, Candyman in the mirror only, but it other- or otherwise it looks like a ghost. And Yeah. I don't remember uh, Tony Todd's one, him being like invisible, killing people like invisibly. Is it, am I just wrong on that? I need to rewatch it, but I remember them kind of, they're more implying through the, through the mirror and uh, through when it's not seen through a mirror, it's, it's something kind of being uh, held up in a, in a ghost-like fashion or compelling Helen Lyle. So uh I, again i am sorry if i'm misremembering but i need to rewatch the first one to remember the visual schematics but yeah i always thought he like appeared in the mirror and then he would appear in the real world after that but uh i thought it was cool in this movie where like people are being tossed around uh like the invisible man is there and it's it's pretty haunting yeah and then also oh which by the way there's a there's a hitchcockian kind of shot here from the exterior of the critics window when the critic after he leaves the critic's apartment and then she just you you cut to this exterior from outside of the building and she's then lifted up and she's just tossed around the room and slid across as she's bleeding like it's 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 chilling it's chilling from a distance it's like the costa is really good at not laying into the gore unless she has to like unless she's like the most brutal scene in the movie, apart from the girl in the first kill, getting that hook through the uh, throat really is uh, uh, Anthony's hand being cut off to then put on the Candyman hook. Um, and then of course, obviously the climactic sequence. Um, There's also that cool shot in the mirror uh, when like Anthony is like drawing and he's dialed in to sort of like something's possessing him. And then the bee comes on the mirror and then it turns out the bees on the other side of the mirror. Like, oh that yeah. Like yeah. A cool reveal. Yeah. And that's, that's clearly like a sound. That's like a sound trick there. That's a sound trick, uh, which by the way, also it was cool to be thrown back into the world of Candyman by having the opening title credits uh, from a mirror's perspective. <laughs> oh yeah. The, the, the like low angle drive through Chicago's like skyscrapers. Oh, like, I also with, met the studio. The lo- I also met the studio logos themselves being backwards. <laughs> I was worried. I was like, did they project it backwards for a second? Like, cause all of them are doing that. Um, but then I realized uh, it was the mirror gag. So yeah, no, it's, it's, I think, I, I think it was a nice clever way to get people in. Like, you know, the studio, the studios are fully aware. Look, they're here for Candyman. They don't give a shit about universal and MGM. <laughs> 
Yeah. Monkey. The one. The the reason that I knew it was a gag ultimately was because uh, the monkey paw logo, which I always know comes to the right, uh, comes to the left side. Uh, on the right side, it comes uh, the other way. So it's it's uh it's pretty darn cool. Um. But yeah. Um. But yeah. And then the. The ending shows more of those marionette puppetry images images of the different racial injustice uh, done throughout history and the creation of the hive, essentially. Um, And this is a monkey paw production from Jordan Peele's company after us and after the emergence of violence stemming off of 2020 with George Floyd and everything that resulted from that, but also the different elements of injustice that's been carried on since, since forever. Um, and uh, the idea of uh, there, there's an idea that's stemmed to this movie of just like, you know, we've, we've uh, it's a way of addressing Candyman is a way of addressing what has gone on forever. And that like, that's what Nia DaCosta has been able to turn it into, uh, which is a very, I think it's a good compliment to what Bernard Rose set out to do with the first Candyman, with drawing attention to the issue, regardless of how dated it might be. It's it's still an effective horror movie for a lot of reasons, and I think DaCosta taps into those expertly. I've never, I don't think I've seen a movie by her apart from this, but I want to see more from her. She's she's really she's really got a good angle on it, and she scared the shit out of me with a lot of sequences in this film. So, so yeah. Any other thoughts on Candyman? Corinne, have we convinced you to watch Candyman? Come on. Nope. Come on. <laughs> Come on. Please. <laughs> I heard something about a hand getting cut off, so I'm out. Please, please. Okay, fair enough. Brad, what do we want to see next week? I believe we're watching Shang-Chi, so... That's John a no-brainer. G, Marvel, MCU, which means we got to get Ryan back in the hosting chair. You can't have me hosting a Marvel episode. No stretch at all in that. No. Uh, but uh, and then, and I believe shortly after that, we're doing Film Explosion 2001. So get your list to us. Exactly. Send your list for Film Explosion 2001 by no later than September 10th. We will be recording that show at some point. <laughs> uh, and uh, yeah, and I guess I can uh, make some. Uh, announcements here um i will be uh guest hosting another podcast in the coming <laughs> weeks um uh, i i don't know how much i can reveal i can tell you that it is with people that i've podcasted before in the yesteryear ballyhoo community and the shamley community um so look out for that you'll be hearing me on three different shows starting in mid-september uh ballyhoo real nerds and this one um and also uh by the way, I wasn't here to talk about it in full, but uh, the Leather Brown screening went over really well. And Bradley, you got to watch it and you got to see EFP, me come back to EFP. It was a lot of fun. Thank you very much for uh, taking those lovely photographs of me that reminded me I'm not a failure. So, <laughs> Yeah, you got lucky. You got a super extended Q&A, man. <laughs> I, I'm, I'm shocked by that. That still fucking shocks me. That shouldn't be happening. Like other people made just as good movies and sometimes into my mind some better movies but uh but yeah no um it was very fun i really appreciated it so thank you to all who attended i really appreciate it um yeah i and- gotta say zach i was riding in the car while we were on the 48 hour shoot with the ryans uh for the listeners at home i'm not talking about ryan frost 
but other Ryans, uh, <laughs> very popular name apparently. And I don't think they knew that I knew you. So they were like talking about the screening and they were like, oh yeah, Zach Eastman. Like that was a pretty good movie. He's like really talented and all this. And I'm just sitting back there like, good thing they're saying nice stuff about him or otherwise this would be an awkward car ride. (laughs) (laughs) No, Corinne, that's when you jump in and go like, oh yeah, well, he's an asshole. (laughs) So sounds like it was a very impressive screening. (laughs) It was, but now Corinne, now I'm just thinking about like all the things you could have (laughs) said in the car. Just be like, oh yeah, well he hasn't even seen the blacklist. And then just turn around. <laughs> Man, we managed to drop that show three times on the podcast today. And yeah, get- second, Ryan. I'm getting it out there right now. Um, and uh I, I look, I do think that in all sincerity, if you haven't watched the blacklist, it sounds like <laughs> Don't you made the do right it. choice. <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> you totally did. Uh, side note, Brad, I don't think that season eight is going to be on Netflix anytime soon. So we probably won't be talking about it again in a while. Well, you guys stop time. talking about the fucking blacklist. Okay. I can hear Ryan yelling from here. Yeah, that's right, Corinne. Go Spider-Man. That is definitely not what he sounds like. <laughs> that is, I know it's not. This is what he sounds like. Hey, darlings, tune into the Real Nerds podcast. <laughs> oh, well, sure. <laughs> yeah, no, that was my cheap cherry, my cheap cherry, cheap Cherry Grant impression. Blech. Um, I, yeah. I want to see a movie now called Cherry Grant. <laughs> and <laughs> is it a Pixar movie? And we, and we just replace all the footage of Cherry Grant with a giant cherry. <laughs> can it be a giant cherry doing that shot in to catch a thief where he does the 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 look at me uh, ex, uh expression <laughs> but i'm just, just excited to to watch a, a giant cherry just run and then like fall over in the middle of like a cornfield or whatever and then run away North from a, northwest and then run away from a gas tank exploding in the middle of that cornfield and oh mm-hmm. and the cherry lifting up uh, lifting up uh, lifting up uh, lifting up the woman and saying come in here mrs thornhill <laughs> mm-hmm. yeah but uh oh it looks like we lost brad oh no did we lose people poor brad <laughs> he was just so annoyed by all of our cherry grant talk <laughs> oh no ryan texted me <laughs> <laughs> I, hear, I hear my name be my victim <laughs> oh no oh no oh no Spider-Man. he's coming for you Zach <laughs> the Spider-Man Brad you traitor uh, alright we'll get out of here folks have a lovely evening uh, and t- until next week bye bye Thank you for listening to this episode of Real Nerds Podcast. Real Nerds Podcast is a production of Neighborless Visions Multimedia. Thank you to Sparks Mandrill and Plan 9 Studios for our kick-ass theme song. Also, if you're in the Denver area and you're looking for a cool place to see movies, we see them at the Alamo Draft House in Littleton and now also in Sloan's Lake. Thank you to Colorado Coins, Cards, and Comics for supplying us with all our comic needs, especially you, Andrew. You know who you are. 
And a big shout out to James's mom. I'm giving you an electronic hug that you can feel through the airwaves. Thanks for listening and have a nice day.